to the podcast for North Decatur Presbyterian Church. We are a PCUSA congregation located in Decatur, Georgia. You can find out more about the church, our service to the community, and our great education programs for children like me and youth and adults at ndpc.org. You can also follow us on Facebook. If you're in the Atlanta area, we hope you'll come join us in person. Okay, that's it. On to this week's scripture and sermon. One verse this morning, just one, from Romans chapter 7, the 15th verse. I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want but I do the very thing I hate. And that is the word of God for you, the people of God. You say? (laughs) Yeah. Cuts pretty close, doesn't it? What is sin? Let's start with a very simple definition. Sin is breaking a moral law. If you're religious, as many people in this room just happen to be, and you believe that moral laws come from God, you might say that sin is breaking God's law or disobeying God's will. One of the most beautiful things about being a human being is our capacity for living morally. Well, yes, we're animals, just like all the other ones that are outside and occasionally come inside the church. We're animals, but we've evolved to be moral animals. I love the way Wendell Berry puts it. He says, rats and roaches live by competition under the laws of supply and demand. It is the privilege of human beings to live under the laws of justice and mercy. Amen? Amen. We human beings are capable of moral reflection and moral action. Many human cultures choose to write down their moral laws. Our religions enshrine morality. They underscore that moral action isn't just a nice feature of human life. Moral action is central to our human life. Moral action is sacred And moral action is good. Think about how the Ten Commandments function in our own faith tradition, right? They lay out the path of the good good life by prohibiting what is out of God's will. I think about Jesus' summary of the Ten Commandments as if it weren't easy enough to remember ten, right? Jesus boils it down to two. He says what? Love God. And love your neighbor as yourself. So everything's great, right? I mean, we have these moral laws. They're written down. These moral laws guide our shared life together. They map out the good life. We know that there are things that we can do with our bodies and and with our spirits that nurture and bless other living beings. All of us just do what we're supposed to do, right? Right? Wrong. 
That's the bizarre and maddening and bewildering part of every one of our human conditions. We're capable of writing down and following these lovely, humane, moral codes to guide our lives, and then we go and act like they don't apply to us. We know what we're supposed to do. And then for some reason, we don't always do it. That's the conundrum, right? That's the conflict. That's at the heart of this whole conversation about sin and grace. We know what's good, and we don't always do what is good. This tendency is not new in human life. The tendency that we have to deviate from our moral laws is actually written into the story of the giving of the law in Exodus itself, right? You know what happens, right? Moses goes up the mountain to receive the Ten Commandments from God. God's great gift to bless and nourish God's people. And Moses brings the commandments down and sees the people doing what? Dancing around the golden cow. Idol worship violating the first commandment. It's written into the very story. How many of you are Law and Order fans? Anybody a Law and Order fan? Yeah, I got a couple out there. Right? The same concept is the premise of any one of these crime shows on television. Every show begins with a crime committed, the violation of a moral law. Then the lawyers and the detectives get together and they piece together the clues that bring the perpetrator to justice. But the ending is always bittersweet. When the offender finally confesses, it's tragic, sometimes pathetic, right? We get to see how that person was urged or compelled or coerced, even against their better judgment, against their very nature, to do the harm that they did. Even though the crime gets solved in the end, there's no joy in the justice. Next week begins with what? Another crime. No one has ever put better into words our human proclivity to deviate from moral laws than the Apostle Paul in the letter to the Romans. I do not understand my own actions. I do not do what I want. I do the very thing that I hate. Ouch. That's sin. We know what's moral. We know what's good. We know what we should do. And we do this other thing. And when we do that something else, someone almost always gets hurt, right? Sin has consequences. Sometimes those consequences are mild. Sometimes they're catastrophic. Sin causes pain in all of our lives. So much of our lives are spent consciously or unconsciously dealing with the pain caused by sin. Journalist Chris Hedges wrote an amazing book about the Ten Commandments that I read a while back. He looked at each of the Ten Commandments through a story about the impact that a broken commandment had on an individual or family. Right? Because that's why it matters. That's why these commandments matter. In the chapter about murder, he talks about an army chaplain who served in Vietnam who spends his days counseling soldiers who are trying to exercise the ghosts of those whom they have killed. In the chapter on adultery, he tells the story of a young man who himself is the child of a loveless encounter 
As he moves through his teen years, he searches desperately for something like real love. And the only community that he can find is in a gang called the Latin Kings. It's not love that he finds. He's never seen it before. Hedges' book doesn't shame or moralize about sin. He just tells these stories that show us what we already know, which is that sin hurts people. All right. So we know what sin is. It's breaking a moral law, disobeying the divine will. We know sin not just because a preacher preaches about it. We know sin because of the wounds that it causes in our own lives. So what can be done? What can we do about sin? I mean, are we just stuck here? Are we just stuck in this place where we're destined to commit sins and hurt people and then feel bad about it and that cycle just repeats over and over and over? I mean, there are some folks in our world who have decided they can solve this problem by just doing away with the idea of sin entirely. That's convenient. They act like sin doesn't exist. They say, I'll do what I darn well please. I'm the one who gets to decide. And if it's good for me, but it hurts you, well, that's too bad for you. People are living like that right now. It's pathological. We had one of those folks for a president not too long ago. I don't think you can pretend like there are no moral laws. And there's no such thing as sin. Our tradition teaches us that we are not, however, powerless against sin. We are not powerless against its effects. And we are not powerless against its causes. God helps us with sin. God's answer to sin is grace. God's answer to sin is grace. All right, what does that mean? What's grace? Well, we're going to get into this a little bit later in the next couple of weeks. We have five weeks. Don't worry. You don't have to do it all today. But in short, I'll tell you what grace is. Grace is love. Grace is a love for you that does not account for the ways that you have disobeyed God's will. God's grace does not account for the ways that you have broken moral laws. It doesn't account for the ways that you have rationalized and justified and otherwise weaseled your way through the moral life. God loves you. God loves you, and that is grace. So how does grace fix sin? That's a darn good question, right? I think some of us imagine that God fixes sin uh, with some kind of cosmic ledger, right? That there's like a list somewhere of all the sins that you've ever committed, and that God somehow wipes that list away, right? That's too abstract for me. Our religious tradition actually is much more in the body. And so this morning, what I want to show you in the last part of my message to you is exactly what sin looks like and exactly how grace might take away the cause and effect of our sins. So we're going to do some demonstrations today. Are you ready? Okay, good. Yeah, let's do this. All right, the biblical writers have four major metaphors for talking about sin. They emphasize that sin has a physical quality to it, right? It's not some 
abstraction in our mind, but it actually has a, a thingness to it. There are four metaphors. So I'm going to show you what they look like, and I'm going to show you how sin uh, works and then how grace deals with it. So I'm going to need some volunteers. I need three strong volunteers first. Okay, go ahead and stand up. Just, if you think you're strong, come here. If you don't mind lifting a weight. Go, hurry, hurry. We don't have all day. Get up here. Three, you, if, come on. This is not going to work if I don't have three volunteers. I need three. If you're not afraid of like, it's like 40 pounds. Don't worry about it. Like 40 pounds. Okay. One, two. Martin, come on. Hurry, Martin. Martin, come on. I gotta, let's get Martin up here. All right. All right. So, um, all right. All right, guys, come over. Take one end. Uh, hold, sit on that end. Uh, let's go on this end. Martin, you get in the middle. All right. The first metaphor uh, for sin behind the bar. All right. I want you guys to lift up the bar. And, um, and just, Martin, you duck under it and lift it up high, put it on his shoulders. All right, just kind of rest it there for a second. Like, let it down a little bit so he feels it, but don't let him get crushed. All right, so the first metaphor for sin in the Bible is weight. Sin is a burden. Sin is a weight on our shoulders. What does it feel like, Martin? It feels heavy. Uh, what does it feel like? Not that heavy for you guys. <laughs> so it's not that heavy for the ones who put it on the shoulders, but it's heavy for the one who absorbs it. That's kind of curious, isn't it? So what is grace? If this is what sin feels like, what does grace look like? What? Take it off. Lift it slowly off his shoulders and put it down on the ground. Don't, don't hurt him. Don't drop it. Awesome. So what does that feel like? Better. What did that feel like? Uh, heavier, for us. heavier for you to take it off. Thank you, guys. You can go sit down. All right, so you, there's one metaphor, right? Thank you. You can give him an applause. Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. The weight gets taken off of the shoulders. Next one. Um, all right. So the next metaphor is stain. Uh, okay, uh, uh, let's, let's read. Uh, this is Psalm 38. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my sin. Hold on. Ugh. So let's go ahead and sin on this T-shirt here. Holy moly. Oh, my. Oh, 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 oh. Yeah, your first reaction was, oh, <laughs> right? Um, yeah, I, I don't, that's what, so it, that's, that's how the scripture talks about sin, like a stain, right? Like a stain, like it's right here, right? This is a Sharpie. There we go. It's right here. There's the sin, right? That's the sin. Okay. Wow. So how do we get that out? Does anybody, does anybody like washing clothes? Come on, come on up if you like washing clothes. Come on, I, I could use two volunteers. Go ahead, come on up. I need two volunteers. All right, so this is a little bit of um, wa warm water. Do you know what this is? Uh, it's, something that helps you clean your it's something that helps you clean your clothes. We'll put a little bit of detergent in there, and um, I'm going to let you guys go ahead and give it a shot. Yeah, go, there you go. Just go ahead and try to wash that guy out. We'll move on to the next one while you're washing. So just go ahead and take a minute. All right, the third metaphor is um, debt. 
debt. We'll give you a minute. Does anyone like uh, cinnamon rolls? All right. So um, just pretend that I'm not looking and you have taken my cinnamon roll and go ahead and take a bite. Gardner, did you just take my cinnamon roll? I want it back. Oh my gosh. So Gardner just took my cinnamon roll and took a bite, and now there is no way he can give it back. He, he's kind of in debt to me, isn't he? He, he owes me something. Right, so sin sometimes is described as, as uh, incurring a debt. So now you owe someone something. But it's complicated now, right, for Gardner because he actually can't give me back the thing that he took. Um, it's actually even more complicated. <laughs> I, made, I made those from scratch yesterday all morning long, and I didn't know you took it. So he's indebted to you, so, and you're indebted to me. So, so, now there are, so now there are some layers of debt that are owed. How is this going to work? How are we going to fix this? Right? I mean, sometimes we look at maybe our own history, and we look at what might have been done to someone with dark skin 150 years ago, and... And there was a debt incurred, but how does, one, how does one pay that debt back when you live in the world today? A debt is still owed somehow, and that debt has changed and as it's been passed on through time. What could it mean to, to, to address that kind of a debt? What could Gardner do? He could, he could make some cinnamon rolls. He could make some cinnamon rolls. That, that would at least begin to restore what has been taken or what has been broken. So the third idea is, is debt and debts that are paid off or restored. How are you guys doing? Let's come back. Let's, let's hold it up. Hold it up for everyone. Okay. Okay. Wow. That, that's pretty good. You guys, you guys can go to your seats. Pretty good. Um, what didn't? What, what do you see? Yeah. So, how, so was um, how does grace function in the in when sin is a stain? Grace can do what? Grace can clean off the stain, right? It can cleanse us. So we talk about being cleansed or washed and made new. But what happens with the stain that doesn't come out? It stays there. So what might grace do for a stain that can't be washed away? How about destigmatize having a stain? What if we all acknowledged that we could look down and there was a stain on all of our clothes? which there is on mine 98% of the time, not pretending that we haven't been stained. That might be another way that grace deals with the 
the sin of stain. All right, we got one more. I know you've been dying to do this one, Tim. <laughs> All right, how far back do you want to go? Whew. Okay, just before Tim, Tim's going to warm up, he's going to stretch for a second, and I'm going to tell you a little bit about this one. So the last metaphor uh, for sin is um, hamartia in the Greek. It's an archery term, and it means missing the mark. So to, 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 to sin is to miss the mark. So Tim, I'm going to go ahead and clear wide away from you, and I'm going to go ahead and let you uh, see if you can hit the mark. <laughs> I'm... I'm really, um, I'm really afraid of what's going to happen here, but I'm going to just close my eyes. <laughs> oh, pretty good, pretty good. You want to try another one? Yeah, I mean, go ahead, go ahead, good. All right. You want to do one more just to see? Come on. Tim, 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 Tim. Ah, all right. So not bad. Not bad. Thank you, Tim. That was better than I expected. <laughs> no, <laughs> no communion wear was damaged in that demonstration. Uh, so, um... What is it? So did Tim hit the mark? Mm, no, he didn't. He, he didn't miss the target entirely, nor did he. So what does grace do if sin is missing the mark? What does grace do? So uh, maybe it gives you another chance. Maybe it gives you infinite chances. What else? Maybe, maybe uh, Alice said, maybe it moves the target. Maybe it enlarges the target. Maybe grace enlarges the target. I mean, if, if Tim had a target that were about 10 foot round, he'd be sure not. None of us would miss, maybe. Or, um, or maybe, maybe grace changes the goal from perfection, from the center circle, to just being in the ballpark. I don't know, right? I'm not sure. What I hope you see is that in all four of these metaphors, weight, stain, debt, and missing the mark, there are very clear images of what it means for grace to change and transform the reality of sin. You see that? Grace changes the reality of sin. How you describe sin and its effects, right? That's something that's up to you. There are a lot of ways that we can talk about sin. Some people will talk about it as brokenness, as brokenness, or alienation, or going to sleep, right? Mary Nona likes that expression, that we've gone to sleep my professor in seminary, Christopher Moore, said sin is humanity's separation from and hiding from God. Whatever metaphor you choose, grace steps in 
and changes the reality of sin. All of us sin and fall short. Our sin has real and painful consequences. And God's answer to sin is grace. Grace upon grace upon grace. And grace works. Grace works. Let the church say, Amen.